0: Everyone, it's Paul Ward here, and welcome to another edition of Farm Talk. We're out here in Ojai, California. Our guest today is a true artisan and a coffee roaster, uh, Carlos Ramirez. Welcome to the show. Thank you. And you own a, a company called Bonito
1: Coffee. Yeah, it's Bonito Coffee Roaster, and the name came about because um, Bonito is very generalized in Spanish, so it's like you use it for moments, mm-hmm. so like Bonito Moments, where it's like beautiful moments and I feel like that's what a coffee cup can bring you know in Nicaragua what we do is we gather around and we drink coffee I think like maybe in the United States is like you drink beer here it's like that's in Nicaragua the equivalent is to drink coffee with someone you really appreciate and um, friends and I mean you just get to talking before you know it. you've had you know two three cups of coffee any time of the day Mm -hmm. you grew up in Nicaragua I grew up in Nicaragua. Um, I moved to the United States in 2005, at the end of th- 2005. I moved to LA. I lived 10 years in, a, in LA. I uh, got married. Uh, we had two kids and the, the traffic and putting kids in a car seat got a little bit too much for us. And mm-hmm. my wife was like, why don't we move to a smaller town? And that meant that I had to quit my job at Dole and because I was traveling a lot. and that you know, most of the flights come out of LAX. And mm-hmm. I was like, you know, I'm willing to let go of this corporate job. And um, I didn't know what to do at first, but when I came to the States, I came with the, the plan to save up money and to go back to Nicaragua and buy a coffee farm. I grew up in a coffee town where most of the mountains are filled with jungle and coffee. And most of the people that I went to school with had a coffee estate or a coffee farm. Similar to wine, they're really hard to get. Coffee is a very sought after, so if you didn't inherit the farm or, or didn't have enough money to buy a farm, um, it's, it's still a hard, uh, a hard business to get into. But some farmers are already established and I went to school with all of them and, and their parents would send them to work in the summers and I would go with them. And as a five personally as a five year old my grandfather was a coffee mechanic in in the town, so what he'd do is he he fixed coffee processing machines mm-hmm. he'd kind of like romanticize going to these farms he'd be like, "Vamos a la montaña," which means like let's go to the mountains mm-hmm. and I was like, "Where is this place and as a five year old everything's big, sure, you know everything seems like huge, so if I take you there now and with the size that we are, and, and you know, I'm 43, or, it doesn't seem like it's a big place. Right. But as a five-year-old, it seemed like this mystical, beautiful place. The word beautiful kept coming up, mm-hmm. so that's why I named my roaster Bonito Coffee roaster And also, I wanted a word that everybody can kind of, like, pronounce in English, too. So, bonito, bonito, bonito. My wife can pronounce it. She's from Denver. Mm-hmm. That's how it came about. You started roasting in a shed is that correct so when we moved to ojai um all i would do is uh grab my bike and bike around town or take my kids to the park and then come right back and and there was this connection that kind of like started to happen where i started seeing a parallel with my town in nicaragua hmm between here and there between here and there Mm -hmm. Prior to this, I was in LA where it's like, go, go, go. You get in your car, you get stuff done. You can get like five errands done in a matter of two hours in in LA. Here, Ojai is a more slower pace. Sure. And everybody says hi. And um, after a couple months, you know, I, I was probably just saying hi to people People already knew me as the guy in the bicycle with his kids. Mm -hmm. So um, I was like, I told my wife, I was like, see that little shed that's like dilapidated and falling down? That's gonna be my coffee roaster. It would really run down, it looked ugly. I tore off the roof and kind of like, just did like a little Nicaraguan roof where Mm -hmm. it's like no, no engineering to it, it's just like a, lo- a lot of planks. I started roasting in a five kilo roaster, I'm sorry, a one kilo roaster and uh, giving my coffee away. Giving it away for free? Giving it away for free, see, see what people thought. Mm-hmm. And my goal was to get my grandmother's recipe. That was my goal. And was she still around? My grandma's still around. She mm-hmm. still lives in the town that I grew up in Nicaragua. She's 88 now. When I left Nicaragua in 2005, she was still roasting. And she has a reputation there that people
0: well, know her as the, the coffee roaster. The thing is, in
1: Nicaragua, it's like there is no coffee roaster; everybody roasts their own coffee. Oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. People go to the market. You buy coffee like you would buy lettuce here at a farmer's market. Mm-hmm. You have three different vendors, three different choices. You smell it to see if it has aroma, um, maybe to see if it, if you can come up with the variety of the coffee, you take it home and you roast it on a pan with a wood paddle and you just roast and roast and roast and that smell, you smell it in different houses. You can say Mm -hmm. like, oh, such and such is roasting today. Mm -hmm. Oh, such and such is roasting today. So yeah, so it's like, it's part of the community. It's part of like, kind of like the tapestry there, but there is no coffee roaster interesting There's coffee farmers mm-hmm. and um, and that's how you get your different varieties of coffee right but there's no coffee roaster interesting and how do you well you roast
0: and then you sell fresh right I mean you're, you're, the beans that you're selling are just recently roasted right they're not they're not stale or a month old or two months old they're you just
1: roasted them like the day before right so part of the re- the recipe, uh, my grandma's roast and why I feel like my like I feel like the best cup of coffee I've ever had is a cup of coffee of my from my grandmother, mm-hmm. but she 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 goes to the market. She buys it. She roasts it And then she brews it and even the way she brews it has a specialty to it, right? all that was in my blood
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I think like a big Part of the equation is to roast fresh Mm-hmm um, a lot of people roast, right. but because of the system of the food here in the United States, it has to go through a factory, a roaster, another distribution center, travel some, some a bit, and then get to the supermarket. And so, so if you eliminate all that, you get fresh coffee. I don't know if I've ever had it, honestly. Fresh coffee. If I think
0: about it, I mean, because well, it's probably not, it wasn't roasted yesterday.
1: Yeah, and then and I, I think like most Americans, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't have a number, but most Americans have not had fresh coffee. Mm-hmm. They've had old coffee. Sure. It
0: um, was, was freeze dried, right? And a sealed
1: bag. A sealed bag. And and bag all and, and all that and, and all that. But there is something that I've learned through. Roasting is that when you're roasting you're opening the pores of the coffee bean and What comes out of it, which is the the co2 gives the aroma the fragrance and After a month It's like that diminishing return like Mm -hmm. you are going to reach a peak of freshness and of deliciousness and then after that it's not that coffee is not gonna taste like coffee But all those complexities, the nuances of the flavors Mm -hmm. um, will go away. They'll just dissipate in the air because they're just all gone. And then all you have is caffeine. Which Um, which
0: is the addiction, probably, right? Which is the
1: addiction, exactly, (laughs) yeah. Which is that, I mean, I feel like... People should not feel bad for feeling addicted to caffeine. I know there's a thing about like, oh, coffee's a drug, and I feel like coffee's like a gratitude plant, like mm-hmm. just like tea, where mm-hmm. where it can become ceremonial, where it, where it's ritual. Mm-hmm. At least that's how people that farm it take it. Mm-hmm. And um, and when you talked about like every farmer starts their day with a cup of coffee, mm-hmm. that's that's what they're looking for is to start that day. And that, I think like, that's like, yeah, it could be looked upon as, as a addiction. And I think like, I would go more of like, if I had to eliminate something in caffeine is the quantity and the sizes that we drink in the United States. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, you're, you're, you're doing those big, huge amounts of coffee when the body doesn't need that. Right, you can yeah. still get the gratification from a from, much smaller amount. From smaller amount. Yeah. And then you'll see that, then you can probably have a cup of coffee in the afternoon and mm. it won't affect you. You'll mm. still go go to sleep, you know? Right. At least that's my case, because when I, when I drink coffee, I drink coffee for the taste, not for the caffeine. Right. And that's why I'm looking always for that freshness. Mm-hmm. Super fresh coffee is the coffee that makes my heart sing. The only secret is that I have the connection in my town, and I can say like, "Oh, this farmer's doing a really good job with this coffee." and it's this type of Arabica variety mm-hmm. Acamara, Catuai, or uh, Bourbon those are three of the ones that I carry. Um, there's a lot more to them, and each plant will taste different. So I'm always ch- chasing the plant. Interesting. Um, and speaking of that, where do, you get your, where do you get your beans? I get them, 90% of my beans come from my town in Nicaragua. Okay. And that's what I'm trying to build, the tincture, mm-hmm. um, to know the farmer. So I know where that coffee comes from, literally. I've walked the farms, I've gone up the hill, because I don't buy coffee from conglomerates. Sure. Um, you're buying from the farmer. Yeah. And it might be a privilege. It mm-hmm. might be a privilege that I have to do that I get to do that. Because most coffee companies what they buy is a contract. Mm-hmm. And because it's bulk. It's huge. Right. They're right. huge amounts. I mean, the United States consumes an enormous amount of coffee. I am boutique, mm-hmm. but I have the faith and the plan ahead that this can become something big if I grow it slowly enough so that everybody can have a fresh cup of coffee.
0: So the the beans are grown in Nicaragua and then either flown or shipped here and you get them
1: right direct, I mean they're shipped to you. They're shipped directly to Ojai. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, my friend is in charge of all that. So he has like a, a processing plant and an exporter's license. So he puts it on the ship. Um, coffee is harvested once a year. It, the harvest starts in December and it ends right about the end of February. Mm-hmm. And then from there, it gets picked. We, we have a process called the specialty coffee process where we eliminate all the uh, defects um, that coffee picking can be because coffee is hand-picked. So it's not, it's not computerized which is the other thing that's so mind-boggling to me because it's a person that's picking every single little bean. It's a lot of labor. It's a lot of labor. And then after that gets to the uh, processing plant and then there's other people picking one by one that all the coffee is the same size, same color, and no defect. So that when I get it here as a roaster, I have to give it that respect. I have to give it as much respect as that campesina lady which is like the steward of the land that's worked there generations her great grandmother whoever has worked there and her kid is going to work in that farm and they're going to pick that ripe cherry that's just that's the right bean so that I can get it here in the United States and do do the same it sounds like there's a tremendous amount of love in your in your work. Oh, yeah. I was talking to you earlier about the flow, and mm-hmm. I think, like, I found that in coffee. Mm-hmm. I didn't know. It was like a full circle for me um, that my grandfather taking me to coffee farms while he was going and working on a coffee machine was going to be part of my life purpose. And not that I don't have any other purposes. You know, I've got my family. I've got my kids. and sure. and, um, and I've... I've And i've got other things that i that i love my friends and the the ojai community which has given me so much um like i said it's like very parallel with my town in nicaragua the connection through coffee and the connection to community through coffee is is just incredible so if i can like put enough love to that roasting part Mm -hmm. then then that love just continues to spread throughout the community. right? Which is what has happened in the five years. I started in the shed for three years. For a full year, I gave my coffee away. I remember, I don't know if you guys know, Eric and the Animals. I didn't know who he was, really. Um, but he approached me, he lived here. Um, he was big in the Beatles era, like mm-hmm. British guy. He used to live here and he had a concert at uh, Libby Bowl, mm-hmm. and he said, I have a song called The House of the Rising Sun. And I was like, I've heard that song. Uh, and He's like, well, my my coffee's gonna be called The House of the Rising Sun, which is like, it makes total sense with coffee, right? Like it's a little sun, and it's the rising sun. It's in the morning when you have coffee, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, this is a great idea. I'll do a sticker for you. I'll, I'll co-roast it. He's like, I only need 100 pounds and it's for all my VIPs that are coming to see me. And I I roasted that and I remember that, you know, like everything, like very serendipitous. Me meeting Eric Mm -hmm. was very serendipitous from me moving from that shed to having like the guts to say like, I am going to go get a warehouse and a bigger roaster because in the one kilo machine, it took me all night to roast a hundred pounds and pack it to give it to Eric for his concert. Mm-hmm. And I wanted him to have it fresh. Mm-hmm. So it was like, okay, there's going to be someone else that's going to want a hundred pounds. Right. And I can't spend nights. That's the other thing. Like, since I was raised in a farm, I I go to sleep early and I wake up early. Mm-hmm. So I was like me staying up at night till three, four o'clock in the the morning uh, roasting was not good. So I fastly found out that I can finance the bigger roaster. And then I went to the Ohio hall to get my business license. And they're like, well, you can't roast there. And I was like, but wait, Ohio roasting companies roasting right in 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 the avenue. They're like, they're grandfathered in. And people have said, you know, they don't like the smell. I was like, who doesn't like the smell of roasting <laughs> So cotton? city zoning ordinances were kind of getting in your way. Yeah, but that I, I didn't give up. So mm-hmm. I, um, I went and I was like, well, then where do you want me to roast? Because I'm going to roast. Mm-hmm. And, well, we want you in the business section, manufacturing, where we, which now we've called a Bryant Circle, mm-hmm. that part. Mm-hmm. And I went over and I knocked on everybody's door. And I was like, do you know of anything that's for rent? Do you know anything and raw food was in where I'm at right now, and the manager was there, and he's like, "You know what? we're moving to Oxnard because we found sp- space that's uh cheaper for square footage, mm-hmm. and uh it makes total sense for operation because we're growing and I was like, "Can I put down my name for when this place comes to be and um uh, and just he, knocking on doors just knocking on doors and mm-hmm. then and then it happened mm-hmm. and then um my knees were buckling because I had to sign a contract saying a three year lease, uh, you know, that I was gonna pay X amount for this rental and that it was gonna increase 3% every year. And I was like, oh my God, to me make that much money? Can I make that much money selling coffee? I, I I don't think so, but I signed it anyway. After that, what ended up happening was I paid six months without even having a rooster there. I was still roasting in the shed. Mm -hmm. As I grabbed, took more clients and took more clients, and um, one thing that I was really watchful for was that A, freshness was there, and that it made it simple for people to understand coffee. Mm -hmm. Because coffee can sometimes become very bougie. Mm -hmm. And coffee shouldn't be like that. Coffee is like the most it, like what you said it's like what farmers start with is it the most simple things like I always push for Going back to simplicity mm-hmm. having less Minimizing so that I'm not stressed out and I think like that's coffee like that for me That's coffee knowing that I think where it goes where it starts to get like coffees unattainable, like the good coffee that like what I'm talking about mm-hmm. is because People withhold knowledge. but this is knowledge that people have been roasting for millennia. Right. My, my great-grandfather planted his own coffee trees, harvested them, roasted them, and drank them forever. Right. So in the ranch that my grandma has, there's about a hundred trees. And I asked my grandma I was like, "Where are these trees coming from?" "Oh. One day, Papa, which is her dad, said, I'm going to stop buying coffee. I can plant it myself. And he planted it himself, he grew it. But my grandfather was a cowboy. He was like, what his business was, to rent his land for people to uh, bring in their cow. And the cow would get fat. And Mm -hmm. then after the cow would get fat, he'd give it back. And then he'd get money for renting that that piece of land. Mm -hmm. So, but coffee wasn't his business. Um, but, um, but anyway, what I'm, wh- I, I guess what I'm trying to say is that coffee is very simple. It's, it's not a complex, complex, difficult. Yeah. No. The flavor is complex, mm-hmm. but not how it got to that flavor is complex.
0: And you grow many different flavors. Are you, or you so, roast, or you roast different flavors or
1: right, create so, different flavors? So, yeah, but not to be mistaken with like flavored coffee mm-hmm. because there is flavored coffee which I don't know where that came from Artificial, artificially, artificially created flavored. yeah like yeah. coffee that tastes like hazelnut right. and coffee that tastes like you know that's that's not what we do mm-hmm. um, so coffee in, in Nicaragua is like wine you know so there's estates right and let's say your neighbor has an estate and he decided that he was gonna grab a subs- subspecies of Arabica mm-hmm. that he brought from Panama or from El Salvador or on his coffee trip to Brazil because he has the money to go to fly to Brazil. Right. And he brought back 100 plants of this variety of coffee. So let's say he brings one of my favorite varieties, a caturra, right? He brings that caturra from Brazil and plants it in Nicaragua. The soil in Brazil is different from the soil in Nicaragua.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The amount of f- rain that Brazil gets is different from the amount of rain than the one they get in Nicaragua. And also, what if the farm in Brazil is close to the ocean and the farm in Nicaragua is closer to the inland? Sure. So that caturra that they brought from Brazil is gonna taste way different. Than, the,
0: than in Brazil? Than, than if the it one was in, in Brazil,
1: Brazil. yeah. Interesting. So once it's planted in Nicaragua, mm-hmm. because the terrar is different, the microclimate is different. That plant takes a whole other, and that's what I'm interested in. As, as an agricultural geek, because I studied agriculture, I love that part of coffee. Mm-hmm. It's an Arabica plant but it's a subspecies of it. Like, let me tell you like a cool story that I heard. I don't know if it's true, but they say that the king of France, while he was in Africa or something on one of his trips, brought back a coffee plant and put it in its greenhouse in France. He liked the plant so much that he says, like, I'm gonna make an estate out of this. Like, I want more of these plants. Mm-hmm. So he took it to an island, which called it's called the Bourbon Island, which is off of Madagascar. In Africa. Mm -hmm. So what ends up happening is that he created a variety called Bourbon. But it's from an Arabica plant that might have come from the Arabian Peninsula in Yemen or from Ethiopia where coffee is born. Right. Right? So then but he changed the plant. Tastes different. It tastes different. And then he was able to probably even give it to friends, and then it got propagated to the point that it then it gets to Brazil. And then from Brazil, it gets to Central America, which is where I'm from. Mm-hmm. So you know so you know that coffee's grown in Peru, but the biggest player of, of all these is Brazil. So you got Brazil, Colombia, um, Peru, Bolivia, Ecuador. Are they the more corporate
0: kind of? growers that are going to ship to the big they're huge. Yeah.
1: In some ways they have a lot of saying in what the coffee price because coffee is a commodity like oil or like gold and um, so it gets exchanged and it gets traded. Um, which is that's a whole other different story and sure. why farmers are suffering because of that concept. Going back to the variety, that co- that that plant propagated through Latin America to the point that then we have Bourbon in El Salvador or Bourbon in Guatemala or Bourbon in Honduras, and Nicaragua. Mm -hmm. Each plant tastes different. And that's where my flavors come, come in. And that's what I wanted to showcase with my coffee. I was like, have your coffee black because it tastes delicious. If you give it a chance to say like, okay, this is a pacamara. And it's a pacamara from Nicaragua. And it was grown from Rene Paguara. And that guy has this pacamara that just tastes like citrus, caramel, and cane sugar, right? Wow. And then you have my friend Sid, in his name's Siddhartha, which is a very cool name. He has a bourbon. Mm-hmm. And what happened with Sid was he inherited the farm with his father and they were they lived here in the United States, and they they had to f- get out of El Salvador, so they didn't they didn't know what they had. Right. But then a pest came through, and took down all the Bourbon plants. Right. So everybody else has started planting something different that was more resistant to this pest. They didn't touch it, and now they have this old plant where they only have a garden, and. Sid gave it to me and he's like, what do you think about this coffee? And I was like, this coffee's delicious. You can't get this coffee anymore. Mm -hmm. Like that old world coffee that tastes like chocolate and marzipan, Mm -hmm. you can't get that anymore. All the newer coffees are tasting a little bit more fruitier and more fruitier and more fruitier because that's where coffee's going. Coffee's going to where like, I think, and this is just my opinion. I feel like people think like, I want a natural from Ethiopia because it tastes like blueberries. I like how that, that coffee doesn't taste like coffee, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I've got to be careful with, with saying like coffee tastes like coffee because coffee is very subjective. Mm-hmm. Someone once told me the best coffee is the coffee you like, not, not the coffee what someone says is the best coffee. My coffee doesn't have flavors because I add flavors to it my coffee has flavors because each coffee is a different plant. Interesting.
0: Now are are your flavors changing based on what you're getting, what you're receiving, or are you kind of at the point where you kind of know that you're going to get so much bourbon delivered?
1: Very good question. So I have to be very careful with that because the bourbon from last year's crop will probably not taste like this other year's crop because probably it didn't have enough rain. So it's just like wine, like you said. Yeah, it's like wine. Yeah, yeah it will, probably won't have enough rain. Mm-hmm. So that plant, as it matures, it'll start tasting different. Mm-hmm. And it's my job to cup it and to say subjectively with other people, I taste this, do you taste that? And they're like, yeah, I taste that. Mm-hmm. And But I also taste this other thing and I'm like, oh yeah, that's in the back end of that, of what I tasted, because everybody's palates is different right, too. Right. So I have to get calibrated with other people as well, so that it, it, it's kind of like a shot in the dark, Right. but once two or three people are tasting what you're tasting, you're like, okay, a, we've got something a, here, Right. and we're gonna run with this.
0: So now that you have a reputation, um, and you're how are you
1: distributing locally um i started distributing on my bike you know cuz we were bicycle? very little yeah uh-huh. we've we started on our bike now i you know i get a an email or or a text and i was like hey carlos we need coffee mm-hmm. and um Re- I know restaurants and shops and restaurants and hotels mm-hmm. um and uh so we're at love cafe with our dark roast we're at the Dutch's. um We're in all three of the hotels here in Ojai. Um, We're in Montecito in a coffee shop called Mercy, which is super delicious. So yeah, we're just growing that way. Um, I have a personal connection with all the business owners. All the business owners kind of like, they jive with me. And and, Mm -hmm. um, so I've done business kind of that way. Um, And now it's it's my job to kind of like hand it over so that it can like expand and I can concentrate more and like, the farmer, mm-hmm. the roast, the taste—sure. Um, but yeah, but that's that's basically what we do. Um, we deliver locally in Ohi every Friday to local stores or to farmers markets. Or? No, like house to house. I oh, kind really? I kind of thought about this kind of like you used to get your milk at, at your house, right? Well, now you get your coffee at your house, like and your weekly it, consumption. Of, so is of it coffee. already brewed and hot, or is it? It's for you to brew. It's a twelve ounce bag. You kay. can go online and you just hit local delivery, and we do that. Very cool. So what are you finding that are uh, the favorite flavors right now? The favorite flavor right now, the one that we sell the most is, if we go by that, I think it's, uh, it, I don't think, I know, it's the pacamara. It's my grandma's recipe, mm-hmm. pretty much.
0: So your grandma had it right all the t- all, all along?
1: All along, yeah. <laughs> I know, yeah. yeah. That's very yeah. cool. Yeah, so yeah, the pacamara is the one that we sell the most,
0: yeah. So what? What? How would people find you? What's your What's your website? What's the best way to reach
1: out to you and find out more about Bonito Coffee? It's BonitoCoffee.com. Just go to, go to the website and really easy to order either on your phone or, or on the web on, on the computer. Yeah, and we also have a subscription, and uh, yeah. So people can order coffee wherever they're wherever they're located. Wherever they're located, we ship all over the United States.
0: Okay. Yeah. So Carlos Ramirez, I want to thank you for being our guest on this edition of Farm Talk. Thank Thank you so much. Thank you very much. And of course, we want to thank our sponsors, the Escrow Hub and the Money Store, and be sure to check out our next episode of Farm Talk.